John, we got to get him the um, the uh, gravy pot, Yulon. Oh, oh yeah, that's door. true. Yeah. Are, we, are we doing it this year? Is that, uh, Matt, I have 24 hours of Nobby Down Christmas music, and I have a whole <laughs> whole thing of Lou Monty stuff. Are we doing it this year? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm leaving it up. Matt, did you get to see that last year? We, we did. I didn't, know. I missed that one. We did a website called yulepot.com. I think it's six or eight hours straight of Italian and Italian-American Christmas music that people can just you know play for their families and have sort of a soundtrack for the night. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no commercials or anything. It's just sort of our Can we do it again service. this year? Yeah, I mean, it's up there. It's not going down. You want to I want redo it? Because I want to add more music. Oh, my God. That's I got to think about that one. That was a lot of work. 24 hours. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe and half of them are about being in jail. See that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italian. Your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your moderator, John Viola, and very happy to be back with everybody this week as we approach the wonderful holiday of Thanksgiving, the dreaded marathon that is Black Friday, and of course, uh, on the tail end of it all, the blessing that is Small Business Saturday on November 28th, and that's partially what we're here to talk about today and uh we've got an interesting mix of the crew the notorious plb is back with me this week doesn't that sound like a day of mourning black friday it does yeah it's I mean, not, why would you want to go shopping on a day named black friday what is that it, what is it, think it's a day that the businesses are in the black the oh in the black I, I i thought it was some sort of like you know sales are good but they destroy your store so it's black i never really thought about it i never thought of it about it as a ledger book kind of Report that that makes a lot of sense. Dun, dun, <laughs> Does that sound like it should be a dirge playing when you say Black Friday? Yeah, I never go out on Black Friday. I would never. In a, I don't care if they were handing out TVs for free. I ain't doing that. With us here for the show today, our associate producer Stephanie Longo is going to step into the other side of the booth with us as uh, one of our co-hosts today. So Stephanie, nice to have you off the mute button on one of these calls. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, you got a lot of expertise for this. I mean, your background before joining up with the Italian American podcast, you've done a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah, I'm very passionate about small businesses from my previous life where I was director of marketing and communications for the Greater Scranton Chamber of Commerce. And I still dabble in that world today. Um, I work on a freelance basis for the University of Scranton Small Business Development Center. So still keeping my hands in the small business field. And it's just an exciting place to be, especially in the COVID world of today. Yeah, there's a lot of good that can be done and a lot of encouragement that needs to be made for some you know, important local businesses, but also businesses around the country that are Italian-American heirlooms, as I like to call them, that need our support, need our shopping dollars. And I think it's good that we can kind of 
start some projects to help there. And we've got another guest on the call today who is going to be a great help in this conversation because uh, he's not only the founder and CEO of the North Sixth Agency, which has been named one of the 50 most powerful PR agencies in the U.S., but he is the author of two books, The Death of Relevant PR, Outcome Relations is the New Public Relations. And for our topic today, what we're really excited to talk about is his second book, Embrace the Pace, The 100 Most Exhilarating Lessons Learned in a Decade of Entrepreneurship. So very happy to welcome to the Italian American podcast, a proud Italian American. And we just found out on the pre-show, uh, a frequent listener. So we're really happy to have him here. Let's welcome Matt Rosetta. Matt, welcome to the Italian American podcast. John, thanks very much. Stephanie, Patrick, it's a pleasure to be here. Big, big fan of the show. I really enjoy listening and I, I learn a lot every time I listen. And uh, I just want to say that you guys are a great asset and, and service for the Italian American community, particularly for the younger generation like myself, who really doesn't have a whole ton of uh, content that we can, uh, we can connect with. That's very kind. Well, thank you very, very much. And we're really looking forward to bringing your expertise onto the show today. And, you know, it's so important. I'm probably the only one on the phone call who's never heard the podcast. <laughs> that's <laughs> Which it. is true. I've never listened. That's good. That's how we I like it. I don't listen to myself. I don't listen. To, I hear these people all the time. I don't need to hear them again. Patrick, I think Stephanie's old uh, employer in the Scranton would make a perfect candidate for your broken English map. How would you say it? Scrantona? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I can look at any American town and tell you how to say it in broken English. I can hear my grandmother <laughs> saying it right now. <laughs> Pat has relatives in Clark Summit, everybody. That's why I'm asking. It's not a hard. Once you get the pattern down, broken English is very easy. Oh, it's yeah. easy. Yeah. Can we have an episode in broken English, John, where we all speak broken English? <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I wonder if we can keep it up the whole time. Maybe oh, we, we could, absolutely. When I was first putting up our ItalianPower.com t shirt store, we were talking about ideas and Roselle and I were throwing some stuff around and, you know, growing up, everybody from Brooklyn in broken English called it Brooklynina, obviously. And we were, we went back and forth for about an hour on how you would spell that. Like, you know, what was the acceptable Italian American spelling of Brooklynina? I think we got, we did the lazy version and kind of added the A, but. I always wondered, is that, is that masculine or feminine Brooklyn? I thought it was Brooklyn. I think it's A. I think of it as feminine. Yeah, I think so. Cause the, uh, you look at the, you know, I think of like Roma. Right. Right. Bronx is a boy. Oh, Bronx. Oh, Bronx. Oh, Bronx. Oh, Bronx. Oh, Bronx. Bronx is a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and they're always on top of the Bronx. So I think yeah. we need to just get all of these chambers of commerce to start distributing Pat's map. <laughs> it's a great tourist act. I got to ask Stephanie, was it exciting to work for a chamber of commerce? Oh man! Was it an exciting. It was like there were never two days that were alike. It don't. It doesn't sound like an exciting place in Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> I enjoyed my job because I got to help out small businesses, which is part of the reason why I pitched this episode to John because I loved helping the small business people, and it was neat too to see the economic development that was happening in Northeast PA. It was neat to see at the other side of things. You know, you see a building getting built and you don't know what it's for, and then when you find out. Like, oh, this is actually somebody that's going to bring jobs to our area, and that's going to be exciting. So it was neat to see. It's a very girl. You're such a Girl Scout. You're perfect for that kind of job. <laughs> and that's how people. I want to ask you the New Jersey question. Did anybody 
bring you like whatever they made. Like, did the bakery stop over and say, here's a free bag? Yes. So you kind of made out that way. Am I right or wrong? I did. It like, did the awesome. butcher come over and say, here's like three pounds of sausage? <laughs> no, oh, totally. like, thanks for taking care of me on X, Y, and Z. Like, I would hope that there's some kind of like gastronomic graft involved. <laughs> there were coffee shops in downtown Scranton when I would go in and they would not allow me to pay for my coffee because I would all right that's fine that that's fine really I mean that, that puts a little bit more that kind of like sweetens the pot a little bit on that job I, I mean imagine. you don't do it for those reasons though no of course I mean, you're the Girl Scout of course <laughs> <laughs> you probably got a merit badge did you get did you get the Chamber of Commerce merit badge <laughs> no a merit badge no, I usually got the complaints. You're a very good person. Stephanie, you are a very decent human being. Aw. You are a salty earth kind of person. Aww, you don't thanks, get, I'm sure you didn't get a lot of gastronomic grab. You're like, oh, no, let me pay. I'm sure you were fine. <laughs> oh, no. Please, well, no. no I, please. I would always insist upon that because I didn't want anybody to give me any special favors because of where I worked. Ah, uh, here we go. Well, you, we you go do, again. but Pat, you do have to do the Nzista a couple of times to make sure, you know. I don't know if the Nzista would work. Because like we, me and John have had this conversation. When you went to like an Italian house as a kid growing up, you could never accept anything on the first offer. Yeah. You That's want true. a cookie? No, no, no. <laughs> Come on, I have a cookie. No, no, that's okay. Well, you don't like my cookie? Okay, I'll have it. You need that third. Because if they only ask once, that means they didn't want you to have it. Exactly. Right. If you said, that's they true. said, you want a cookie? Go, oh, no, that's all right. Okay, I'll then they put it away. Then you knew it was just a formality. Yeah. I also, I want to start another, we should do a podcast on Italian businesses that want to pay their, their bills, whatever their trade is. <laughs> you, Pat, you've had that happen quite a bit. Before right, I we... can't comment. I can't, I have certain, yes, I can't comment, but yes, there are many Italians who try to pay their bills in jars of tomatoes. How many <laughs> jars of tomatoes do I need to pay? Yeah. They're all lawyers. It's like Doc, it's like, what's the name? Doc Baker and Little House. They show up with like the chickens. Lawyers get that. There's lawyers but you're like the village it. lawyer in like an Italian village. You know what I mean? If you're getting paid in arugula, like my father-in-law's a doctor in an Italian part of the Bronx. Many of his patients are Italians. You know, I, I've been at the house many times where somebody will ring the bell with a tray of eggplant or with, you know, whatever came out of the garden. And they'll insist this is not for you. It's not for your mother-in-law. It's not for the family. This is just for dottore. And that's oftentimes really in lieu of charge. But why would they always have to deliver? at 7.30 in the morning. No one ever brought me like a bushel of fruit at like two in the afternoon. There's <laughs> like always that like some ungodly <laughs> seven o'clock. Hello, hello, open up, open up. That mitigates against the idea that they may have to drop it off and not make sure you understand that they brought it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, got, they got to hit you with the basket before you hit them with the bill. Exactly, yeah. You got yeah, to <laughs> shave off. The early bird gets the free services in Italian America. You know, obviously, it's wonderful to get these kind of things, but businesses can't sustain themselves on arugula and eggplant. So we thought, and I think Stephanie really can share even further because, like she says, this is her formulation behind this great topic. But, you know, small businesses are the backbone of both Italian America and Italy, frankly. I mean, small family-owned, multi-generation businesses or new up-and-coming entrepreneurial endeavors that people are taking on, evolving forward. You know, we've, we've talked on the show before about multi-generation family businesses where the younger generation is taking it in a new and exciting direction or reinvigorating a model and then going online and things like that. And, and as we've talked a bunch throughout this COVID crisis, unfortunately, at the same time as there have been some great success stories, there's also been a lot of 
kind of sad tales of companies that have been forced to close up shop or really scale back. And so, uh, Stephanie, why don't you introduce a little bit of what you're thinking we can do to contribute to improving the situation, to to guiding our audience in the right direction. And uh, I know you've got a bunch of questions for Matt. Yeah. So this year, due to COVID-19, small businesses are estimating that the impact of COVID-19 is about $64,000 per business which is just horrifying to me when you stop and think about it, because these are businesses where it's a family-owned business that people have put their blood, sweat, and tears into it. And $64,000, that's more than a year's salary for some people. So how are they able to get out of that hole? And we at the Italian American Podcast strongly believe in serving our extended Italian American community. The cool thing about being an Italian American is that we try to help our own here in this community. And one thing that I thought- Are you serious though? Yes. You never heard of the competing undertakers? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've heard of those things. You'll never find an Italian neighborhood with one undertaker. (laughs) There's always two down the block from each other because if you get mad at one undertaker, then you take the body to the other. (laughs) There's always two butchers. There's always two bakeries. The death knell of an Italian neighborhood was only, there's only one left. That's very true. It's true. I've never heard of an Italian. I mean, again, maybe Scranton. I've never heard of another Italian. The only place where I've heard Italian business is somewhat, somewhat rowing together is in the Bronx. Arthur Rare. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And Scranton, I mean, I have to say here, the Italian-American businesses really try to support each other. And you'll see that with some of the delis. If one doesn't offer a certain product, they'll actually send you to their competitor if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, Pat, I think we we forget sometimes that we're here in the epicenter of dysfunction of the Italian-American community. You know, there, there are plenty of communities where people do row together. And I think to Stephanie's point, the idea that with the virtual audience like we have, you know, and self-identified and self-interested Italian-Americans who've taken the time to listen to us and follow our social media and things like that. It's a great opportunity because these are, these are the people that want to help Italian businesses. And, you know, as you always say, support the tribe and shop. Buy Paisan. That's my, yeah. Buy Paisan. That's right. <laughs> Even though they might overcharge you. Yeah, definitely. They might, somebody might screw you over. It happens. Okay. You still got to buy Paisan. Yeah. You got to do the right thing. That's you got to keep these things going. Um, Matt, you are lauded for your work. Also, by the way, from the ground up, you founded the company in your garage. You've put in a decade plus building one of the top PR brands, but also really investing your time and energy in new strategies, in new paradigms, in new thinking, which I think is more than ever throughout this, what's going to change threats to opportunities when we can for businesses. So tell us a little bit about from your background, what you think when you look at the situation from a small business perspective, where, where do you see opportunity right now? You know, nothing captures, in my mind, nothing captures the essence of the American dream more than small business and entrepreneurship, right? And obviously that applies. Like I, I think about my grandparents, you know, my grandfather immigrated to the United States from a small little village outside of the province of Foggia in Puglia in the 1950s when my mother was a little girl. And, you know, the dream for my grandfather, probably very similar to, you know, your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents and all that, was to start a business. I mean, when you think about the American dream for a lot of our ancestors, it was about starting a business. And what does that mean? That means risk-taking. It means sacrifice. It means believing in yourself. It means seeing an opportunity to make something better, pride of ownership. And all of those things are very, you know, obviously those are emblematic of the American dream in general. So 
I'm super passionate about it. I'm also just like all of us, I'm very concerned because right now small business is at risk more than you know arguably in the history of our country, right? So when small business is at risk, the American dream is at risk. I think those two things are intertwined. So when you kind of put that all on the table, um, I think it boils down to three things right now if you're a small business owner. Number one is it's about differentiation. I think if there was ever a time for the need for entrepreneurs to experiment, to try new things out, you know, that's when innovation is born, right, from experimentation. And now is it's, everything is sort of up for grabs right now. So I think it lends itself to that opportunity to experiment and really differentiate you know, your service or your product more than ever before. Number two, I think it comes down to planning. I think in an environment like this, you know, entrepreneurs and small business owners need to be very disciplined, you know, so they need to plan. You know, you have to have pressure testing in place. You have to have scenarios. If, if A happens, we're going to do this. If B happens, we're going to do that. You know, everything, every detail really needs to be scrutinized and planned for. And then the third thing, and I think this is interesting, I think the third thing, sort of the recipe to small business survival or success in today's um, uh, environment, I think it comes down to relationships. And I think, you know, relationships are a currency right now, more, more than ever before. So, Stephanie rolled off the um, SMB uh, data before and the, the impact that COVID has had. I mean, it's been catastrophic. So in the absence of revenue, in the absence of dollars, what can you do as a small business owner? Just build relationships. And usually the better relationships you build, you know, the better places that's going to take you in terms of opportunity and growth and the easier it's going to be to get out of this. So I kind of put all that into a blender. And I say right now, if I'm running a small business in this environment, to me, it's about differentiating myself. It's about being disciplined and planning properly. And number three, really prioritizing relationships more than I ever have before. Matt, let me ask you a question to follow up on that. Mm -hmm. It sounds like in your professional experience, there is hope and strategy through what could easily become a very dark and foreboding time, right? I mean, it's very, it's easy, particularly when the zeitgeist of the nation is so hectic and cautious and and scared, frankly, to kind of bring that into your business. But the idea of being uh, aggressive around innovation, being disciplined around planning, being open around relationships, right? That it, it really is in some sense, a prescription for the opposite of what one might naturally fall into, which is kind of a, a funk around the society-wide uncertainty that we're facing. Do you think now there is a segment of opportunity for new business, for entrepreneurship, for startup, for somebody who you know might have been furloughed, might have been uh, downsized, whatever they might have gone through to sort of gamble on themselves in this environment? A thousand percent. In fact, I, I, I would, I, it's well said, and I would break that down into two kind of buckets. Number one, look, crisis creates opportunity, right? So this is a crisis like our generation really has never seen before. And um, the, to your point, John, the natural inclination for most entrepreneurs, not for entrepreneurs, for most people is to go into protection and safety mode right now. But we forget if we take a step back, in crisis, you know, this is when wealth shifts and, you know, new wealth is created and, you know, new innovation is born and new ideas are born. And, you know, the whole puzzle is kind of, you know, being shifted around right now. So I think as entrepreneurs, you know, you, you need to be cognizant of that. This is, this is a time of incredible 
you know, anxiety for many and incredible uncertainty for everyone, but it's also a time of great opportunity if you can just get comfortable with taking, you know, the right risk. Obviously, the risk should be calculated and measured, and you don't want to go bet in the house without understanding what, you know, life looks like if the bet doesn't work. But overall, yeah, like this is a time of great opportunity. So that's number one. Then number two, you know, and I'm saying this in a very, you know, this is the Italian-American podcast, so we can kind of be straight up with each other. It's also time for, you know, for, for entrepreneurs to grow Grow up, you know, grow up a little bit. Like, let's keep it real. Keep things in perspective. Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, you know, they started businesses that, you know, now have become an important part of the fabric of the American culture. And they started those businesses when? They started them during the Depression and Prohibition and, you know, post-World War uh, II when there was Italian-American discrimination, unlike any time in history. So if our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents could do that, like, we got to grow up a little bit. And I think it's, it's you know, that kind of makes COVID look like a breeze in many respects. Sometimes we forget, you know, we've done a decent job as a community celebrating our ancestors in poetry, you know, in this idea of their great journeys and the risk they took and the poverty they came from. But then when it comes down to living in prose, we don't do that particularly well. You know, we've gotten used to the post-war economic model, the social media focus on vacations over savings model. And, you know, this is a time where I think, and we've talked about it on the show before. I mean, you know, Pat made a great point. In some sense, because so many of our community have maintained even some of the traditions that, that are at this point more about fun than economy, right? You know, jarring tomatoes, making wine, doing this, growing a garden, looking at them now in new eyes through COVID, you, you do see them for their economic value. You know, I, even from my own perspective, just thinking about waste differently and, you know, the, the things that we use and the, the food that we eat and the way we prepare stuff. So I think that shifting that to a business perspective as well gives you a, a little bit more rationality around what is possible right now, because it's, it is not the end of the world. Yeah. You know? It's just not. Yeah, well, look at, I mean, totally, I totally agree. Look at, I mean, entrepreneurship really boils down to risk a lot. And I know this is sort of a wide sweeping generalization, but I would think most Italian American entrepreneurs today in 2020 are similar to me. You know, we're, we're not off the boat first generation. I mean, we've been, you know, we've been Americanized and assimilated through, you know, one, two, three generations of the uh, American culture. Um, so like, you know, what, what do we have to lose right now in terms of risk? Like if I, if I were to go start a business tomorrow and it fails, I fall back on my college degree or not on my college degree. If I don't have a college degree and I go into another business where I understand the language and I can learn and I can adapt, you know, juxtapose that against our parents or our grandparents. Like if, if my grandfather would have started a business and failed, he had no plan B. You know, he didn't understand the language, wasn't educated, wasn't a citizen at first. I mean, all that stuff. So I think it's important that our generation of entrepreneurs, and I know that's a generalization, but, um, you know, most of them uh, are similar to you know me and us in terms of construct and how long we've been in this country and assimilated and adapted. I think we need to keep it real, and we have a fallback option that our ancestors didn't. Now you make a great point. I mean, it's one thing to do it in difficult times; it's another thing to do it in difficult circumstances, and to do it in, like you say, a foreign country, different language, where you have nothing to fall back on. I mean, I think it's also kind of been in some ways washed out of the American popular conversation that, you know, we don't, we don't learn in school unless you self-select into business school, the university level, we don't even have any kind of curriculum up until or through that point for some that just discusses the basics of a business, the idea of, you know, a, a P and L and the idea of 
what kind of laws are out there, bankruptcy laws and things. I mean, you know, there are protections that mitigate against risk and there are systems of support. I mean, Stephanie, I think one of the reasons you were so excited about putting this together was this whole idea of Small Business Saturday and what American Express does and what a lot of local municipalities do. I think it's, you know, my grandmother used to get those books off the TV that was like a thousand and one agencies you could write to and they'll send you a check or they'll say, you know, you get this. And she was great at it because my grandmother grew up in the depression and coupons were the Bible. And, you know, she knew what was out there. And I think a lot of people don't know what's out there in terms of resources from either the private sector or the public sector. Why don't you just a little bit, Stephanie, if you can kind of explain some of the opportunities that are out there for people, because Oftentimes, you feel like going into business for yourself or running a business on your own is um, sort of operating in a vacuum. But in truth, there's a lot out there in terms of a safety net, both public and private. Absolutely. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I do that freelance work for the University's Grant and Small Business Development Center. And many colleges and universities throughout the United States actually have their own SBDC. So if you're interested in developing a small business, you could actually go to one of these and tell them your business plans. They'll actually help you create your goal and decide how you want to actually see your business succeed in the future. They'll come up with a plan with you. Um, Chambers of Commerce, um, the Greater Scranton Chamber of Commerce had its own arm that would actually help you develop your business and they would work in partnership with other local organizations so your chamber of commerce is a great place also i am a graduate of cornell university's uh, women in entrepreneurship institutes through the bank of america that's free for women who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs and if there's any listeners out there that are females interested in becoming a business owner by all means message me at the podcast i'll give you the information for that because it was probably the most eye-opening experience that I had. And it just taught me more how to handle myself and how to properly charge prices for what I'm doing. And it's a good thing. But I think that my favorite thing that we're doing is our in-house plan that we're trying to do to help out small businesses. Uh, Like I said before, the Italian-American community, we're a national community that just wants to help each other. It's like Pat said, by Paisan. So (laughs) our plan for the holiday season is to really get as many of our listener Italian American small businesses out there to submit their information to us. I do ask that you submit it directly to me. So it's slongo at italianpower.com just so I could keep the database going and make sure everybody gets included. But we're going to do a social media push for Italian American small businesses um, called Support Italian American. And that could be just about anything. Um, I know that Ray Guarini, our friend from Italian Enclaves, has done support Italian American business as a hashtag. And I'm kind of taking it a little bit of a different direction because I'd like to see restaurants that might be offering a gift card package or um, Italian American museum shops that may not think that they're a small business, but actually under SBA guidelines, you are. 500 employees or less are actually a small business per the SBA guidelines, small business administration guidelines. So we're trying to get as many small businesses that are out there to submit their information to us. I just need your name, your location, and your website, and I'll work my magic and we'll get something up on social media for you and hopefully try to make a little push to help you out this holiday season, especially if you're offering online sales. Um, There's statistics out there that say that about 71% of consumers are planning to do their holiday shopping online. And, you know, there's some really amazing Italian American artisan shops on Etsy. So, you know, there's places where you can go to buy Italian American this holiday season. And we want to be able to put that in front of our listeners because it's so vitally important. Um, 
we want to make sure that as many businesses as possible survive COVID-19. And we at the Italian American Podcast, and I speak as our familia in-house here, because we really are a familia, but you're part of our familia as well. So we want to help. Yeah. Sometimes with Italian families, you're better off with strangers and enemies than relatives. <laughs> <laughs> Helping you get ahead. So not all the time, but occasionally. So. <laughs> Pat, I'm being the Girl Scout here. <laughs> you are. You are like, how many merit badges did you get? Before? It was never a Girl <laughs> Scout. I, uh, no, wait, I was liar, a brownie for like a year. Liar, liar, Pat, don't you think, don't you think if you ever wanted proof that God has a sense of humor, it's the pairing of you and Stephanie? That's like yeah. the, I'm, it's like the yin and the yang. <laughs> yeah, of Italian America. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But she's like a pure and decent. You're well, you're a totally unjaded person. <laughs> that's well. That that's a big part of this conversation, really, right? It's that it's that sense of positivity, that sense of can do, that sense that you know, like Mother Teresa said, small things with great love, a little bit goes a long way. And again, you know, we don't think about small business in this way because. As Stephanie was saying earlier this afternoon, her and I were catching up and, you know, we don't think about the, the national body and the impact the small business has on it and the jobs that it brings to the community, but also little things like, you know, you've got your local nonprofit or your church group or your uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever, you know, when they go out and fundraise, it's the small businesses that are going to support. It's not the big box that is a headquartered corporately somewhere far away. And if you want support for your good works, you got to go through a six months application process and this kind of thing. It's, it's your local businesses that are going to support your efforts. It's your local businesses that are going to participate and donate to the community and, and invest in business improvement districts and invest in the quality of life and the places that you live. So they're more important to the full corpus of just the quality of life than I think we think. But, you know, Stephanie makes a great point this year in particular, and I think it's clear, safe to say a, a growing trend, online shopping is going to be a big part of it. So, you know, Matt, with PR as the engine and, and messaging and branding, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing are some successful and maybe innovative strategies that small businesses might be able to take and, and run with from a, an online marketing perspective. So, John, when you know what we're seeing, and this is we've studied this real closely, obviously service and clients, and just looking at the uh, marketing climate around us since COVID began, and clients and brands that are following the following three principles are the ones when it comes to a, a marketing differentiation standpoint are the ones who are winning. Number one, they're being smart. You know, they're using the environment as an opportunity to sort of outthink their competition. Uh, number two, they're being classy. You know, and by classy you see a lot of opportunism in the environment where, you know, you have to be a little bit dubious as a consumer and really question, like, if there's a hidden agenda, what the true intentions of some of the brands out there are. And there's a lot of opportunism. There's a lot of brands that are just using the environment opportunistically for their benefits. So this is a really good opportunity for you to be classy and just show the integrity and the values of your brand. And then the third thing, which is getting overlooked, is be fast. Like, this is an environment that is changing by the second. You know, what is true one second, you know, all of a sudden gets flipped upside its head and is completely different the next second. So you have to be fast. You have to beat competitors to market, you know, quicker. You have to get, you know, ideas uh, ready for prime time sooner than your competitors do. Otherwise, you're going to be late to market and you'll be viewed as obsolete or antiquated in many respects. So those are the three ingredients to branding success right now. It's be, you know, be smart, be classy, be fast. And the brands that we've studied that have adopted those principles have been the ones that have won so far. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, we had a conversation, and I don't even remember if it was on the show or off the show, with uh, one of our past guests and a listener and a member of our new neighborhood, Daniello Tieri, who runs Arthur Avenue Tours and sure. a bunch of successful businesses up in the Bronx. And, you know, she obviously couldn't give tours for part of it, so she, they went in and published a cookbook with local restaurants and local vendors. And she was filling us in on what was going on in the neighborhood, and she was saying one of the meat markets – sort of surprised everybody because very early on, instead of worrying about the lack of foot traffic, they started doing home deliveries because, you know, they were getting meat when supermarkets weren't and supermarkets had all this infrastructure to deliver based on online. But once they got the word out that, hey, you could still call your local butcher and he could get you everything you needed and more, and they were doing it at a rapid pace, they were booming, you know, and, you know, you talk about being smart and out thinking and being fast and courageous. Give us some success stories that you've seen out there of sort of adaptation and courage that, that has worked? Sure. Well, you know, and I think it's an interesting point too, John, about, and I think that underscores the importance of um, understanding where the consumer demand is right now. It's just, it's the demand in most cases, like in, uh, in Danielle's example, um, I don't think that the demand has has disappeared. I think the demand has just shifted. So, you know, I, I was just on Arthur Avenue uh, Tuesday, and I saw it firsthand. I mean, I grew up, you know, going Arthur Avenue with my parents and my grandparents, you know, all the time. And Arthur Avenue is a special place, and I had never seen it as empty as I saw it Tuesday afternoon when I was there. Um, but the demand for products on Arthur Avenue is still there. So the merchants, the merchants that have made smart, you know, pivots and adjustments, similar to what Danielle was describing. Those are the ones who are winning right now. So, you know, you got Thanksgiving coming up. You have La Vigilia coming up next month. I mean, you know, I, I, oh, I don't know about you, but my family is still making uh, Languila and Galamari and all yes, that stuff. Yes, yes, Languila and Gabidon, the boy and the girl. <laughs> the biggest Gabidon fan in the world is on the <laughs> We should have an Anguilla Gabidona party. You know what? We're going to do some Christmas episodes uh, of the uh, of the video show. So, yeah. But look, I'll tell you, you know, my family still needs Languila, right? We yeah. got to get it somehow. I might not be getting it from the bucket over at Cosenza's on, uh, on Arthur <laughs> yeah. Avenue, but we're getting it somehow. So, you know, the fish merchants who can kind of get into my head and understand how are we going to get, you know, How do you Languila. make your Anguilla? My, my uh, so that's a, my grandmother, and then the recipe got passed down to my mother. She makes it with a beautiful sauce with a little bit of olive oil and garlic. It's simple, very simple. She bread it? No, we don't bread it. No, no, no. It looks like folks, it, we fry it. They don't fry it. You fry it. I, we, we don't fry it in our family. We, we put a little breading and we bake it. The gobby don't? Yeah. Well, we have like, you know, we have like an identity crisis where we come from in Italy because we're, we're technically Provincia di Foggia, but um, until I think the 30s or the 40s, we actually were a part of Avellino. So we're like, oh, we have like one. All right. See, they, more they stole from us. <laughs> they no, were always just, stealing from Campania. The <laughs> oh, they stole from Campania. We were the Texas of Italy. We were like California. <laughs> 
I gotta be in with Pat on this one because Avalino's my home one. Don't say you're from Folger. Yeah, don't, don't, you're not nothing that's gonna say you're from Folger, but you're from Campania. See, I knew. I like this kid. I knew. We anytime I hear you hear people from Puglia, mostly it's body, right? And uh, yeah, you know, especially in Brooklyn, where my wife comes from, in Bensonhurst, you know, it's all Malaysia, and uh, I don't understand. I can't understand the word they say, and then you know, and then because they and speak then, Chinese. Rose not on the phone. Rose could have been a, you know, the Navajo talkers in World War Two. <laughs> if we had, if we ever go to war again, if we get the Malays from Brooklyn, we get the Navajo beef. <laughs> They'll never yeah. have a crack it. I'm, where, is your wife Molays? No, my wife is Calabrese, which is another one, which is another, that took me about three years before I could understand the word that comes out of uh, her family's mouth. It's uh. like, uh, <laughs> to me, it was like going to like a Sotheby's auction for like in, 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 in some dialect for three years where it's like the fa- it's like the micro machines guy who just speaks, 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 and you don't understand the word they're saying. That's how Pugliese um, is for me. Yeah. You're so right on that one. I'm trying to learn a little bit of, I'm taking Neapolitan class now, and I decided that I would go and explore Calabrese since I'm half Guardiés, so Avelines and Calabrese. Mm-hmm. And I went online to go and look up some of the Calabrese. I'm like, what is this? I don't understand anything. Yeah. See, it depends. Calabrese depends. It's crazy. Reggio is very close to Sicilian. Yeah. Yeah. Patanzaro has a lot of huh, huh. Where is she from? What province in Colorado? She's from a Reggio, from a town called Gioza Ionica. Oh, oh yeah. Ionica, sure. I stood there once. Actually, my first uh, my first business trip for NIAF, we stood in Gioza uh, Ionica, and we, uh, we I forget the name of the resort, but that was a great trip. I got to deal with the president and all the regional officers, and it was my first time really exploring Calabria, so it was great. I, I loved it. But Pat's right. I mean, you know, Calabrese, you have Sicilian Calabrese by Sicily, and you have Napoli Calabrese up north, and it's just two different languages, so obviously the greatest people in the world. I mean, the warmest, most hospitable people you'll ever meet. And even though it took me, are nice people. Oh my God. You know, and the cuisine, I definitely adapted to the cuisine immediately, even if I didn't get the language as, as quickly <laughs> as it would have liked. But I remember when I met my wife in Calabrese, they were telling my wife what a nice boy I was. You know, my wife when I was in my early 20s out in Brooklyn, and I couldn't understand a word they were saying. And then uh, I took my wife and introduced her to my grandmother which is another sore subject because I introduced her to my grandmother before my mother, so you can imagine. <laughs> so and my, my grandmother goes, oh, es, es, uh, like tu bello ayote cajavist. And it's like... See, you're from Campania. You're from Campania. You're from Campania. Don't listen. You got it. This is the beginning. Don't tell people you're from Fulcher because they rob you. <laughs> hey, they took you from your homeland. <laughs> That's funny. I don't even know how we got into that, but I think I was just saying, John, it's about going to demand. The demand is still there, and you just, as a business owner, you just got to figure out a way innovatively to get the product to the consumer in new ways. It's just a different world we're living in right now, but the demand is the same. But, but you know, it is interesting to talk about the reminiscences of the language barriers over there and where everybody comes from, because, you know, we, Pat did his special limited series on Italy's reopening, which, you know, none of us, I think, were, were prepared for the reclosing, but I remember one of the episodes, editing one of the episodes, listening to his interview, and he was talking to his guest about how sort of shocking it was that Italians were adapting the way they were in terms of conducting business online. I mean, you know, a country like that, really, I think Americans that may not spend a lot of time in Italy would be surprised and unaware of how limited that scope of e-business has been uh, in Italy and a lot of countries, even in Europe. So it's interesting to see the Italians sort of even moving into this new direction and adopting and adapting and, you know, innovating because 
I've been having conversations with a few people about businesses that are opening in the South and people who are investing now that they are, you know, more comfortable with the idea of remote work. I mean, I don't think people realize the seismic shift that whatever the new normal looks like is going to represent because we talk about risk, we talk about innovation, we talk about demand. You know, human demands are far more stable than the conditions around them. And I think people are becoming far more accustomed to the idea that, you know, you really can work remotely or you can work from a smaller town or city or, uh, you know, locality, whatever it is, but still speak to a worldwide audience and have good customer service, you know, discipline and like you say, be smart. I mean, I found a brand online just by accident a couple of weeks ago from Naples. I was looking for a necktie and uh, they had this great necktie and I, a couple of things I liked to put in my car. John paid off their Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> He's lucky his wife doesn't listen this show uh, he I would be homeless i bought a lot if of gifts. you knew how much he bought that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> that bill was a telephone number but you gotta admit it was great ties though right i got I gave oh, everybody phenomenal yeah i gave everybody ties Absolutely. but i was so pleasantly surprised by the fact that like you know it was a new business and boom the customer service was quick i got an email in english that they didn't have one of the items and they gave me a discount code and you know that's the kind of stuff that's going to make a huge difference because by default, I think everybody feels, especially being kind of locked in and shopping online, okay, you know, I'm going to go to Amazon because it's safe. But in truth, in a lot of cases, Amazon is just a portal for small business. So you can go direct to these businesses. So many of them come online. You know, what are the kind of customer service fundamentals that are overlooked for people? You know, I mean, speed, communication, what's kind of the things to look out for to be forward thinking around customer interaction right now? Well, I think it's empathy. You know, empathy is the first word that comes to mind. You got to remember the consumer right now is, for the most part, is under a lot of anxiety and stress and uncertainty. And the mindset, it's more of a psychological, you know, element than anything. I mean, the consumer right now is different mentally than the consumer was in 2019 and 18 and 17. So flipping that, you know, around, if you're if you're a brand, if you're a company and you, you look at how you're going to approach the customer, you have to have a little bit more of, a, of an EQ than you used to have. Back in the day, you know, IQ kind of reigned supreme and EQ was sort of overlooked. I think now it's much more empathy and EQ, EQ first. Yeah, that's a great point. Really putting yourself in the, in the role. I'll tell you, John and, and Patrick and, and Stephanie, you, you'll appreciate this. I mean, you, you guys are obviously closer to Italy than, than anybody in the community. One thing I think that's going to be fascinating to study is you know years from now to understand the impact that covid had on italian marketing italian brand marketing versus italian american brand marketing you think about italian brands historically and we've worked with a lot of italian brands they're product people they're passionate about the product i'm talking about italian italian brands and marketing is sort of overlooked they believe the product you know is the way to market their brand the product speaks for itself and that's how italian businesses have been for generations. And then you put that against Italian American businesses that have been more Americanized and run, are run by entrepreneurs that grew up in this country. They market the brand first and the product, not that the product is an afterthought, but it's brand first, you know, product second. So COVID has sort of forced every brand to reinvent the way they think about marketing. So I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated to see the impact that has on Italian brands three, five, 10 years from now. That's brilliant. That's a PhD uh, yeah. thesis right there. It's so funny you say that because last week's episode, we talked about the Malocchio. And one of the things that came up was the idea of sort of 
you don't want to be braggadocious. You don't want to be overly verbose in your in your self-aggrandizement, even even in business, right? It's like this sort of very DNA level idea of keep your head down, do the hard work, let the quality will out, let the product speak for itself. And that's all well and good because, you know, you go to Italy and you buy some pastries and they look magnificent. They're the best thing you ever taste in your life. They're wrapped like the best Christmas gift you ever received. Yeah. Right. And it's like, an, it's a Wednesday in March, but this is the, you know, you got to have it perfectly wrapped and I, that's all well and good. And that, that quality does speak volumes and it stays with people. But at the same time, you know, this is a world where the opportunities are going to be 10 seconds or less of eyeballs on a platform like Instagram. Yep. And, and it may not be necessarily in our DNA to sort of think that way of that, you know, there might be, there might be something to this idea that the idea of um, avoiding the evil eye by keeping the good that you're doing hidden, uh, I don't know, might factor into business a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's something that I don't I think people take for granted. What, what are you guys seeing in terms of these platforms? Speaking of social media, you know, where have businesses done best during this COVID crisis to put their time and resources into getting to an audience? I mean, generally speaking, you know, B2B brands, LinkedIn is by far the most effective um, channel for most of the B2B brands, business to business. They're doing a lot of what they call account-based marketing. It's very targeted, persona-based, and the B2B brands are thriving for the most part on LinkedIn. Uh, consumer brands, look, I mean, Instagram is, is super hot right now. To your point earlier, John, it's a very visual environment. You know, products are being sold, you know, visually more than ever before. So obviously that lends itself more to Instagram than anything else. Um, going back to what you were asking about earlier regarding customer service, brands that are winning right now in customer service are leveraging social in a very, you know, smart, innovative way. So they're, you know, going back to what I was talking about with EQ and, and, and empathy first, you know, they're leaning on the social platforms to communicate with customers and really understand and get into the minds of their customers on a personalized basis like they never were before. So those are the ones who are winning. Now, I would just say generally B2B is LinkedIn and B2C um, for the most part, Instagram is, is super hot right now. It's wild to see just in terms of, you know, I mean, I'm not a big social media person on a personal level, but you know, you get on and you see how tailored it is to the stuff on your account and the things that pop up and the things that you learn about and the companies that you would never in a million years could probably would have gotten in front of your eyes yeah. 10, 15 years ago. They do, they do kind of find you. I mean, the algorithms are sophisticated. So for small businesses with some sophistication and if they can afford it with professional help from, you know, agencies or companies like yours, getting in front of the right audience in a sophisticated way seems to me, and maybe you can confirm this, in some ways easier nowadays. Yeah, no, it totally is. And look, their data, the data is accessible. So the whole dossier on you, John, and you, you Stephanie, and Pat, I, well, Pat, I don't know, Pat's pretty complex. I don't know if there's any dossier. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. You hit that nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, within, I don't know, 30 seconds to two minutes, I, I can probably learn as much as I need to learn about you as a consumer to develop a, an appropriate targeting and marketing strategy online. I, you know, I know what you're using on what social platforms you're using, where you went to college, you know, if you're the host of a podcast, if so, what the topics that you, you know, you, you talk about are, I mean, there's so much data that's readily available. Brands really don't have an excuse not to understand the consumer now. So that, that I think would be the silver lining in all of the, um, you know, in the challenging environment that we're operating in right now is that data is so easily accessible and 
you need to understand the consumer in a personalized and more intimate way than ever before, and you have the data to do so. So, you know, if the data wasn't there, if we were talking about this in, two, you know, in 1990 or two, even 2000, we'd be having a totally different conversation. But it's 2020, the data's out there, and you need to understand the consumer like never before, and you can do that. And it plays into the whole idea. I mean, you know, we, our, our membership group is called The New Neighborhood, and Pat and I have been working together for 15 years. And in that time, he's always said, I mean, even 15 years ago, Pat was saying, you know, we're all bemoaning the loss of the neighborhoods, but we're moving to a digital piazza where people can communicate, mm. people can shop, you know, and then look, some businesses are just not cut out for it, right? But if you can be courageous and forward thinking and, and really put in the work and research, you may be losing the on the ground customers in a traditional little Italy. But the truth is, at least for the last two censuses, there's 18 and a half million people who self-identified as Italian American and extrapolate out from there. It's probably, you know, 22, 23 million people and they're active on social media and groups and self-identification. So you may not have your neighborhood anymore of hundreds of thousands of Italian Americans living down the block shopping every day. But if you're going out there and fishing, consumers are identifiable and there's ways and places where they're convening around their heritage. And that's, you know, that's the kind of place to go hunt, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope this has been helpful for people out there who, you know, may have a family business or looking at the challenges, but also the opportunities, you know, this SWOT analysis is one of my favorite things in the world because strengths always complement weaknesses and opportunities always complement threats. And there's a lot of good that can come out of this. Before we go, Matt and Stephanie, if each of you could just give the audience your one piece of advice, if they're a small business owner or an entrepreneurial Italian American looking at starting a small business, particularly now, what's the one commandment piece of advice you'd give them? Stephanie, tu vai e ti seguo. <laughs> Grazie. Okay. So just from my experience, I think that the number one thing that a potential small business owner would like to do right now in the COVID-19 world is just to make sure that they create themselves their own little network of people. Um, relationships drive business. So you need to make sure that you actually have a network that you're able to count on, whether it's questions about graphic design or about getting your business on the internet. And if you don't have that network, there's places that offer virtual networking. There's places that offer just groups on Facebook you know, such as the new neighborhood, that's a great place for people to actually network in the business sense as well online. And there's other places too, where if you're selling, say, jewelry, you could go to a jewelry makers group on Facebook and just try to create that network so you can start developing that online presence. And just to remember that COVID, it feels like it's a rough time right now. And uh, one of the small business clients that I spoke to for a past article that I wrote said, it's not the restrictions that ruined my business, it's COVID. So just get out of your head that the restrictions are hampering business right now and just get into your head that this too shall pass and just try to have a positive mindset. That's pretty good advice. Stephanie took mine. See what I get for being a gentleman, Patrick? She took mine. I was going to say relationship. No. And she's Bizon. You both know. You know that's she unbelievable. Goes, you just find this bond. That's how you know she's really one of your own. Well, we've got the Calabrese in there, too, so I'm also extremely stubborn. So. Yeah, that's true. Testadura, no. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I would say, you know, I was going to talk about relationships. I, I totally agree with everything Stephanie said. I, I would say in addition to that, you, you need to be very disciplined now. I talked earlier about the importance of planning. I think if you're a small business owner, over plan, you know, over plan, run all kinds of different scenarios. If there's a vaccine, my business is going to do this. If there's not a vaccine, my business is going to do that. If there's a travel restriction, here's my strategy. You know, I'm going to shift online if the world reopens again. You know, here's what we're going to do with our brick and mortar location. Like, I, I just think that it just underscores the importance right now of pressure testing, scenario planning, just doing as much as you can to be disciplined and understand. Usually, businesses go out of business because they're not prepared properly. Mm. And as long as you can get ahead of that, you can communicate properly, you can plan ahead of time. You know, I have um, these 10 management rules I share with all of my direct reports at N6A. And rule number one is really the only rule you need to follow and we'll have a great relationship and it's avoid surprises. Mm. So if you just avoid surprises, if you can plan, you should never be surprised. And especially nowadays, it's so critical in this environment, just never be surprised. There's nothing that you can't plan for. There's nothing you can't survive as long as you're prepared for it ahead of time. So I would say just plan, plan, plan. So it sounds like two things that are deep in the heart of Italian-American life and blood memory, which are knowing somebody, <laughs> be it relationship building, and uh, a little touch of uh, cautious paranoia. Well, I'm like, I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. if, has there ever been a, an ethnic community that's more prepared for <laughs> Never. the Italians? Or, right? Never! Right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I've had the Italian Roman Catholic guilt for the past 11 <laughs> years because I shouldn't be where I am. And you got, I mean, this is perfect for me. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's perfect for me. Yeah. It's all going to collapse. <laughs> we were made for supermarkets being locked down. <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> We have yeah. hundreds of pounds of everything in the basement. We we are the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandparents are up in the country, and the, I keep calling my grandmother and saying, you know, do you need anything? Do you need anything? And I, she still hasn't gone through all the macaroni she had in her basement. <laughs> it's been almost a year, you know? So, And, and they eat it multiple times a week. So I, I think, it, uh, Pat, you've said a couple of times on different episodes, we were made for this. We're good at this stuff. And, uh, yeah, pre-planning is another part of that. I, I always think of Billy Martin, the great uh, Italian-American baseball manager for many teams, including my beloved Yankees. And one observer said he was the best creative thinker in baseball because he was so paranoid naturally and thinking about ways that teams were going to take advantage of him, that he was coming up with defenses at the same time as offenses and coming up with strategies and scenarios that he could utilize that nobody ever thought of before because he was planning how to protect himself from them. So that's part of who we are. And I think a great lesson going forward and uh, something I hope everybody can I ask you a very deep question based on that? Yeah. How are you Mr. Brooklyn and you're a Yankees fan? That's like the most un-Brooklyn. Very much the Italian-American story. My grandfather came to this country and didn't have uh, you know much access into popular culture, but for Jolton Joe DiMaggio. And uh, he swore fealty to the great Dimage and uh, raised all of us Yankee fans. My grandmother's family was Dodger fans. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Dodger fans. Yeah, and my mom's father, Dodger fan too. And uh, some became Mets fans. My, my mom's dad swore off baseball until 2001 when Brooklyn got a minor league team back. And uh, my dad's side, we've always been DiMaggio-based Yankee fans. Yankees have been good to the Italians. Yogi Berra, Joe Pepitone, Phil Rizzuto. A lot of Italians come through, played for the Yanks, so. Uh, what was DiMaggio? He was Sicilian, right, DiMaggio? Sure was. Yes, he was. Yeah, very, very much so. If, if, you, if you've heard him uh, described, I got to meet him once, but I worked with Bonanima George Randazzo from the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, was a great mentor to me from when I was like 18. 
like a third grandfather to me. And uh, George was a Sicilian American who was very, very close to Joe DiMaggio. And he would tell stories about Joe being particularly Sicilian, quiet, a little bit brooding, uh, but he let you know how he felt and particularly if he didn't like what you were doing. So yeah, he was a hundred percent cut Sicilian American, that guy. And uh, somebody I think important to our community on a lot of levels. So absolutely. And a small business owner too. Let's not forget he had the famous DiMaggio's restaurant in San Francisco for a long, long time. So he was probably one of the earliest uh, Italian American uh, real brand ambassadors, right? With Mr. Coffee, I would think too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. He We're was dating out. ourselves with that one. yeah exactly (laughs) the kids out there i know exactly what you're talking about but that's gonna be that's gonna be mr coffee that's an inside joke (laughs) i'll tell you what though you want to talk about italian american branding you know you guys know i'm obsessed with collecting anything i can related to italian americana and the other and you can do that online nowadays easier than in person so i've been piling up the nonsense stuff during covid and the other day i found a 16 millimeter reel of a 1966 Stelladoro cookies commercial. Wow. You know, Italian American products being advertised in the sixties, that fascinates me, you know? So yeah. I'm looking forward to having that digitized and see what it was like advertising to a primarily Italian American audience in the sixties. That's really, that's cool. Yeah. Pretty unique. So Matt, tell us for those who are out there that might want to, you know, relate to you on a B2B level, utilize what you guys offer. How do they find you in North Six agency? One of the 50 best PR firms in the country. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. They could look me up on LinkedIn, Matt Rosetta, North 6th Agency. And our, our website is N uh, as in North 6, the number 6A as in agency.com. Um, feel free to reach out and we'll, uh, we'll help you out any way we can. Also, John and team, I, I wanted to uh, I just make sure my, I have my three daughters, Viviana, Valentina, and Simone, are going to be listening to this. And they're your next uh, generation of listeners. So oh, really? Sure I give them a shout out. Yeah. That's uh, fantastic. That's beautiful names. Start, how old are your kids? Uh, my oldest, Viviana, she's going to be 11 in March, and then Valentina is uh, nine, and my baby, Simona, she just uh, turned seven. We should start a kid's version. <laughs> What's that? The Italian American Podcast Junior. You you with some puppets that will do like the Muppets. <laughs> 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 we'll get the Pepino, the Mouse puppet. Are you going to puppet. Get, yeah, no, we'll yeah. get a puppet of our, all That'd of us. That'd be fun. Yeah, puppets, puppets of all of us. We'll it's get the, a puppet of Rosella that speaks only in Malay. Yeah, via Sesame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rosella teaches Malays. Uh, my, my daughter, Simone, I think she's the only Lumonti fan under the age of, you know, 78. Wow, in the history of I the love United. that. They also like Italian, Italian music, too. But, the but you know, the, the, the Lumonti stuff is uh, is tough to pass by, too. I'm I'm, I'm going to revive the Lumonti fan club. That's my all-time favorite. I'm, I'm, Do you know my friend's mother, Steve DeSerio's grandmother, was the president? Wow. That's right. That's his hometown. He has pictures of the Lumonti fan club. It was all very um, beefy Italian old ladies in their 60s in house dresses. (laughs) Can I just say something too? All kidding aside, the guy was pretty damn creative. I mean, think about about the characters he brought to life. And I mean, the imagination. I, I, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. You know what? He doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves. Guy was an amazing talent, a crooner. I mean, if you listen to stuff he did, yep. it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. I think he was Calabresa too. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. He, was. <laughs> he yeah. sure was. Yeah. <laughs> I spent six months in COVID with my brother and his babies, you know, living in the same house. And every morning for the first like five mornings in a row, my niece, who's just, just turned two when we went in, was demanding we play wheels on the bus. And I almost... I, I literally, I, I was going to walk into like a COVID unit in a hospital just to get out of the house. So I finally said to her, hey, I'm going to teach you about Pepino the mouse. 
and that went into the entire Lou Monty playbook. And so, you know, six months later, I was dancing with her singing, uh, what did Washington say when he crossed the <laughs> Delaware three times? <laughs> That's great. You know, so now she demands Martha, Martha when she wants that. And, yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah. Bravo, John, bravo. He's like, Lou Monty is like the Lay's potato chips of the Italian singers. Like, once you have one, you can't stop. You, <laughs> you got to like, do yeah. them all. You, you got to right? go through the whole songbook. Well, yeah. Lou Monty, one of a kind, and uh, it's been a one of a kind conversation. I hope it really helps those of you out there who are in business, starting business, thinking about it. And uh, it's good to know that there are concerned people out there in the community like yourself, Matt, that are resources. And Stephanie, thank you for pushing us always to be better for our community and and put together resources. And for those of you out there who might want to participate, if you've got a small business, if you're doing something special for the holiday season and want to get shared on our platforms and, and those who share us, please make sure to email Stephanie directly, slongo at italianpower.com. That's what Italian power is all about, really, you know, putting people together, building relationships, keeping our community thinking about and looking out for each other. So hopefully we do a little bit of that with today's episode and and keep doing it further. If you've got a small business that you want to tell us about, please reach out and uh, we'll be happy to to do what we can to help. So from all of us, the Italian American podcast, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Ciao. You have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life.